My scripture reading is from Job 1. Is it your custom to stand or be seated? Please be seated. I'll be reading from Job 1, verses 19 through 22. Job 1, starting with verse 19, hear now the word of God. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. And I'll also read a few verses from chapter 2, Job 2, verse 9. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? curse God, and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Let's pray, asking the Lord to teach us from his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your word that you've given It is a light unto our path. You have shown to us in it everything necessary for faith and godliness. We pray that you would help us to understand the things we consider. We pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that are open and receptive to your message. For we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You are all familiar with the story of Job. Job was a righteous and God-fearing man, we're told in Job 1, we're told in the New Testament that he was a model of patience and perseverance. But he was attacked by Satan, and he lost everything. He lost wealth and family, Job 1. He lost his health in Job 2, and he had unimaginable sufferings. When his friends came to visit him, they saw that his grief was very great, Job 2.13. And in verse 20, we see an example of his grief. He tore his robe and he shaved his head and he fell to the ground. All conventional responses to great tragedy and grief and sorrow. And he fell to the ground and he worshiped. And then what he says in verse 21 is profound and memorable, and his comments there reveal a providential worldview in that Job, in the midst of his suffering and loss, was convinced of God's sovereignty and his providence. Let me follow through this verse or this context with some basic points. First, we are born with nothing. In the very first part of verse 21, 
naked I came from my mother's womb. We're born with nothing. We're born naked. That's true for every human being. It was certainly true of the nine Schultz children. They are all born naked. And the first thing we did was to put some clothes on them, starting with diapers, which tells you something about human nature too, I suppose. We are born naked. We are born dependent. Children are, are dependent on their parents for everything. All they can do is cry and eat and sleep and fill those diapers. And parents have an amazing opportunity and responsibility to care for these precious little ones given by the Lord. What we don't always recognize, however, is that we remain dependent on the Lord throughout our whole lives. The Apostle Paul, speaking to the philosophers at Athens, labored to teach them this point of human dependence on God. The Apostle Paul told them that God gives to all life and breath and all things, Acts 17.25. In him we live and move and have our being, Acts 17.28. All of our days, God's hand is upon us, Psalm 139.5. Indeed, the psalmist tells us that our days are written in his book, Psalm 139.16. If nothing else, you've got to recognize that our lives are not defined by our possessions. Job lost everything that seemingly was dear to him, his flocks, his children, possessions, his health. And we have <clears throat> amazing blessings compared to the people of history and the people in other portions of the world. We have ridiculous blessings. We are so overwhelmed by blessings, and it is always useful for us to remember that we come naked and dependent. We're born with nothing, and then we die. The second part of verse 21, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. We come from the womb naked, and we shall return thither in the poetic expression of our verse. Human history can be traced from the womb to the tomb, and that's true for all of us if the Lord tarries. All right, we're born, and then we will die. God said to Adam, Genesis 3.19, Dust thou art, unto dust shalt thou return. Abraham said to God's messengers, Genesis 18.27, I am but dust and ashes. We read in Ecclesiastes 3.20, All are of dust and shall turn to dust again. Ecclesiastes 12.7, the dust shall return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return to God who gave it. And I expect that you are familiar with the prayer of Moses, the man of God recorded in Psalm 90, where we are told that the days of our lives 
are 70 years or if by reason of strength 80 years and then we are gone we're cut off and we fly away Paul tells Timothy this 1 Timothy 6 7 it's a good reminder Paul says to Timothy we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out you can't take it with you I used to try to impress this message on our children as best I could every time we'd see a funeral procession I would say look you never see a hearse pulling a u-haul you can't take it with you and so Year after year, you know, every time we saw a funeral procession, I tried to emphasize this basic truth that you can't take it with you. And then my father died, and of course it was sad. We went to the funeral, and it was sad, and he was a wonderful man, a wonderful Christian man, but it was still sad. And the funeral was over, and it was sad, and we got all the Schultz children and our, all nine of them in that big old van we had, and we were waiting, and the funeral processional started, and the hearse pulled out of the church parking lot. And a little voice in back said, You're right, Dad. You never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. And the van went absolutely quiet as everyone processed this. They understood that the little one in back had, had made a, a big faux pas. But I said, You know, son, you are absolutely right. Your timing as a little off, but you are absolutely right. You can't take it with you. The womb to the tomb, that's the boundary of our earthly existence. And if you go into a cemetery, you'll see a name and maybe a Bible inscription or something else, and then there'll be a date, a birth date, and a dash, and then a death date. The Lord tarries true for all of us. A birth date, which we know, and a death date that we don't know, and then a dash in the middle. I heard a, an evangelist once at Liberty University saying his message was called, What's in your dash? So when someone looks at your tombstone, their mortal earthly existence starts and ends here. What's in your dash? Have you given your life to the Lord? Are you walking with the Lord? Are you serving the Lord during this time that you have on this earth? We're born with nothing, and then we die, and God's providence governs all our days. Listen to what Job says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. God in his providence governs our days. The Lord gives. He gives us life, health, breath, daily bread, opportunities, families, blessings. All of those are a gift from God's hand. And God takes away. We might lose stuff. We might lose our health, ultimately lose our breath. Or as Job explains to his wife in chapter 2, verse 10, we receive good from the Lord, blessings, sunny times, the wind always at our back, 
And sometimes we receive evil or dark days or as the Puritans described it, God's frowning providences. We experience the sorrows and griefs of life. But our conviction based upon God's word is that God is sovereign and rules by his perfect providence according to his holy will. We are finite, mortal, imperfect, sinful, impotent, fallen creatures, and our God is almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, sovereign, and we are totally dependent on God and his providence. Now, to many in the world, that's an objectionable doctrine, that God's the one who's in charge. But for the believer, it is a comforting teaching of Scripture. You remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, that your heavenly Father feeds the birds of the air, Matthew 6, 26, and he will care for you. Your heavenly Father clothes the lilies of the field, and they are more spectacularly adorned than Solomon ever was. Matthew 6, 28. And he will care for you. You live, exist, operate, flourish in the caring hands of your heavenly Father. Scripture repeatedly tells us about God's providential care of his creation. We sang from Psalm 104 this morning, a great summary of God's providence. God gives food, he withdraws life, he creates life, he renews all the earth, and God is glorified in all his creation. I would add that God's providence is purposeful. In Romans 5, 3, the Apostle Paul says, we glory in tribulations. I'm not there yet, but Paul gives to us something that should be our testimony, that we glory in our tribulations, because we know that our tribulation works patience and character and hope. In Hebrews 12.10, we read that sometimes our Heavenly Father chastens us, but it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Or listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12. This is a passage I expect that is familiar with to you. The Apostle Paul had suffered with a thorn in the flesh, and it was aggravating, it was limiting in his ministry. He was asking that this be removed, but it didn't happen. Second Corinthians 12, Paul said, But he, that is the Lord, said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ might, may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. 
Whereas Job learned at the end of his book, Job 42.2, I know now that you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Now this doctrine of providence is something that we find, there's theological power to it, and we find it in our standards. And so the Westminster Confession of Faith has this marvelous summary of the doctrine of providence in chapter 5. Section 1 reads, God, the great creator of all things, doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things from the greatest even to the least by his most wise and holy providence to the praise of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. The Heidelberg Catechism puts it this way, and the Heidelberg Catechism is a marvelous old continental reform standard which has such an experiential and practical character to it. And having talked about the doctrine of providence, now the question is, well, what value does it have for you? Why is it important? Question 28, what advantage is it to you to know that God has created and by his providence doth still uphold all things? And the answer that we might be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and that in all things which may hereafter befall us, we may place our firm trust in our faithful God and Father that nothing shall separate us from his love. Or the RP testimony has such a magnificent summary of this. God's providence should lead the believer to be patient in adversity and thankful in prosperity, resting confidently on our Lord. Patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, confident in the Lord who governs our days and governs the future. Let me tell you a story about Waldo McBurney. I think some of you here knew Waldo McBurney. Uh, dates 1902 to 2009. He was an elder in the RP Church in Quinter, Kansas. He was most famous for his longevity. At age 100, he was still doing long-distance races. President Bush recognized him as the oldest working man in America. And finally, about age 104, he thought he was slowing down a little bit, and he, reti <laughs> he retired. He wrote a book, and it's a great one called My First Hundred Years. But the downside of living so long is that you become acquainted with the sorrows of this world, right? Loved ones pass away. You see catastrophes. There are things that, that are really tough. And he talks about how valuable it was to reflect upon Scripture and to hear faithful preaching and to think about the doctrine of God's providence. He says, I could say with Job, Job 121, the Lord gave, the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. I trust God to do all things well. 
He says further, God's sovereignty is a truly comforting doctrine. I find God's sovereignty taught in the Bible from the beginning to the end. I can't understand it. Neither can I understand how I keep breathing and wake up in the morning still alive. As I go to bed tonight, I will trust, I will awaken if it is for God's will and for his glory. God's providence governs our days. We know that the Lord has determined the times of the nations and the habitations of their providence. We know as well that God orders our days and has written our days in his book. Fourth, we always bless the Lord. Job says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And we are called always to bless and worship God. Read in verse 19, even in the disasters that befell Job's household, he fell to the ground and worshiped and blessed God. We should do this in sunny times of bright providences when our lives are awash with blessings. And Job did this. He was a righteous man, a God-fearing man, a man of integrity, prayed for his family. But we shall also do this in tough times when we experience frowning providences and bleak and troubled days, and this Job did also. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let me add that blessing and cursing is a key in our verses. And so if you look at Job 1 verse 5, um, and when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus, Job did continually. He continually interceded for and sacrificed for his children because the thing that he didn't want is for them to inadvertently Curse the Lord. Verse 8. Job 1, verse 8. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? And Satan said to the Lord, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hand, and his possessions have increased in the land. But if you stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, he will curse you to your face. Chapter 2, verse 5. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. Right. So the whole idea here is that Job blesses God, but Satan wants him to curse God. We read, in chapter 2, verse 9, his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Now, this is not very helpful at all. 
But she's saying to Job, look at everything that's happened to you. You're a conscientious man. You're a man of integrity. You've walked with the Lord. Look at all that's happened. Is it worth it? And then she says to him, curse God and die. And that's really bad advice. But you can see how this idea of cursing and blessing is woven through here. And so in the midst of calamity, when Job blesses the Lord, he does exactly what he should do. And we're told both in chapter 1 and chapter 2, he did not sin in his response to the Lord. Notice as well that Job blesses the Lord. And in your version, the word Lord is probably in all caps representing that there's a reference here to Jehovah or Yahweh, the personal name of the Lord. And Job blesses the name of the Lord. He says then, Jehovah gives, and Jehovah takes away. Blessed be the name of Jehovah. He blesses God. Turn with me to Psalm 103. In Psalm 103, we find this theme of blessing made abundantly clear. I read this in our call to worship. Psalm 103, verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. It's almost as if to make sure that you're not just blessing the Lord with your lips, but with your soul and your whole being, you're blessing God. And one of the reasons why we bless God and thank God and worship God, verse 3, is because he forgives all our iniquities. Listen to the way this is developed in verse 8, because there's an emphasis upon the mercy and grace and compassion of our God. Psalm 103.8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he always keep his anger. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgression from us. And so, Christian, there's tremendous encouragement in knowing this that the Lord takes your sins and removes it as far as you can see to the other end of the world, uh, uttermost space, the Lord forgives and is compassionate. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear fear him. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, he flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it's gone, and its place is known no more. So you get a picture of human beings. We're mortal, we die, we're sinners, we should fall under the condemnation and wrath of God. But our loving Heavenly Father is merciful to us. Verse 17 But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting 
on those who fear him. The Lord's love and mercy never runs dry. It never ceases. It continues forever to all eternity. And his righteousness to children's children. There's something encouraging about knowing we have a God who is gracious to us and is gracious to our children after us and is merciful to our children's children. So much so that in the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, verse 6, we read that his mercy extends to the thousandth generation. So there is always a reason for you to bless the Lord. In Revelation 5.13, we read that blessing and honor and glory and power unto him that sitteth on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever throughout our lives for all eternity we bless the triune God. Finally, trust in the Redeemer, Job 19, verse 25. Job 19, verse 25. Job says, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. Job's faith is thrown throughout, shown throughout the book, but we find it particularly clear here. Job looks at his Redeemer and is confident that at the last day he shall stand upon the earth. Notice his confidence. I know that this is the case. And notice his personal commitment and connection. My Redeemer. Job describes his troubles in the preceding verses, but he's got a message. He wants it written down in stone so that everyone can read it, and we can. I know my Redeemer lives. And so that even though he dies and he decays, verse 26, yet he is confident that he will see the Lord again with his own eyes. He will see the Lord and we know that when we see him, we'll be transformed into his likeness. Keep your eyes on Jesus. In this life, with all its travails and all of its uncertain providences, keeps your eyes on Jesus. We know that the Lord is our shepherd. He is with us all the days of our lives. And even in the valley of the shadow of death, and then we have the promise of God's word that we will dwell in the Lord's house forever. Your path in life is guided by God's hand. He has promised to be with you forever. And so in every circumstance of life, bless the Lord, the one who gives and who takes away and who governs all things. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the promise of your words. We pray that you would be with us at all times. We pray that you would help us to be thankful as we see your blessings and sunny providences. We pray that you would give us patience as we deal with the afflictions of this life. And we pray that you would always 
give us confidence as we know that you walk by our side and have promised to be a God to us and to our children forevermore. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.